Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today I would like to call in the ancestors. I'd like to call in your ancestors, all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in your ancestral lines to be with us here today, to bring to you your legacy that you might use it as you live this life the best as you possibly can. I call out to my own ancestors, to the ancestors of this land, to the ancestors of this place, that we might create a sense of place to gather to have this conversation here today. I call out to the ancestors who were dreamers, who can help us to understand, just as we are the manifestation of their dreams, how we can better dream well, so that the life that our children is born into is rich and filled and vital with love and joy and the blessings of this life here on this planet. So we call out to the ancestors to be with us here today, to hold us well in these proceedings, that that which may be heard can be heard, and that which needs to be said will be said. We call out to the spirit of the earth itself. This is our home, and we call out to this energy so generous, such a profound giver. We give thanks and return for all that we have drawn in our life to live, to live well and to live vitally. We give thanks to the earth, thanks for place, thanks for home, thanks for belonging, thanks for connection. Thanks for a place where we can be one with all things, and know that love energy that binds us all. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life to this planet. And we reach up from this place with our feet firmly grounded in the earth, with our ancestors gathered round. We reach up to the sky energy, and we call out to those energies that are highest. By whatever name we call those energies, we call them down, bringing in all the wisdom of the cosmos to our proceedings here today to bring us generosity and blessing, to surround us in protection, and to give us the inspiration to listen, to speak, to hear, to act, and to go forward in a way that is inspired in our life. So with the merging of the sky above and the earth below within each of our bellies, we stand here encircled by our ancestors and call out to the energy of our heart, that place that is capable of connecting, of merging, of blending, and bringing the strange and wondrous desires and passions of your belly that speak to you of your soul's desire of being here, and the clarity and the inspiration and the innovation and the creativity of the mind, and we merge those two energies in the heart that we might each better know our soul's true purpose in this life and use the proceedings here today to better live them. So welcome, everyone. Our show today is about transformation. And what is transformation and how to do it in such a way that we are going beyond the simple remodeling of the self and we're actually transforming the self. So what are we really talking about today? And we'll certainly get into why are we bothering to talk about it. But human beings are basically a big energy pattern, a reasonably stable energy pattern. There's no real physical reality here. We all know that from science. And if you don't, you should buy one of those wonderful books written by a brilliant physicist for regular people who can explain what we really understand today about science so that you can understand what I'm saying. 
And I don't understand it as well as they do, but I understand it enough to know that the shamans of old are correct, and the shamans of today are correct as well, that we are essentially a stable, reasonably stable energy pattern, which means we pretty much wake up every morning a human, usually basically the same gender, and pretty much definitely with the same soul's purpose. We are very patterned beings. We, we exist as a pattern and we pattern our lives. What that means effectively is it's the math of your life, is that whatever it is, the sum total of who you are in this moment adds up to your life as it is today. There's no other way to run those numbers. And the problem with much of what people invest their time, energy, and resources in is all they're being taught is sort of a different way to look at the numbers of your life. So that you sort of view the sum, the total of it, differently and are somehow more comfortable or pleased with that. But it doesn't change the numbers and it doesn't change the total. And then there are also other processes people engage in that frankly would be the you know, equivalent of cooking the books, trying to, to falsify and to pretend that they are something other than who they are. But the bottom line is, your life is the sum total of you right now at this time, whatever the core of you is. This is it. If you don't like this, if this is not what you want, if you have that inkling deep in your being that there's more, that there's got to be more than this, that there is something else you came here to do, that if you died today you would have missed something. If you have that feeling, you must accept the fact that there's something beyond the sum total of your life. Your life is adding up to what it adds up to, period. To get a different number in the math of your life, you must change the numbers that are adding up. If you want a different total, you've got to change what's being added up. And you need, frankly, to transform those core numbers so that the sum total of your life results in a different total, a different solution, a different way of being. There's no other way to do that. You can't just run the numbers through new math and get a different answer, and you can't cook the books. Because you know what? At the end of your life, your maker will know it. And you will too. The only way to get a different result out of your life is to change those fundamental integers. And that's what we're talking about today, is how do we make those changes? What's a real, true transformation? And so, of course, we'll go back to the definition that we've talked about many times on this show, which is that change simple change allows you to change back. In other words, you can go take a great course, and while you're in the course, you can behave a certain way, but when you get back in your life, you can't sustain it. So you've learned to change something, but you haven't transformed it because you can't maintain that difference on your own. Okay, and so a transformation then is to change something in such a fundamental way that there is no going back. That's simply who you are now. And, you know, the difference that I always like to say is the transformation is like waking up with duck feet. You can't possibly go back and put on those old shoes. You need all new shoes now. And that's what we're really looking at is a profound transformation. And so the question a lot of people ask is why? You know, why should I bother? I mean, certainly today we're not raised thinking that's actually what we've come here to do. Uh, most of us are raised to think we've come here to um, make kids and make money. 
And, you know, there's a lot of people doing that, and there's a whole lot of people that really are not satisfied with that. Some are, and that's great. Because the issue is really, are you feeling fulfilled in your life? And so there's a whole movement of people that believe that the real purpose of our life is enlightenment and that transformation is available to us so that we can chase this enlightenment. And I personally don't agree with that. And, you know, so who am I to argue with Buddha? I don't know. But I'm not really sure we've interpreted what Buddha said any better than we've interpreted what Christ said. I'm not sure we're real good in that interpretation these days. Um, But what I notice in our interpretations of things is we are always biased towards the mind. And what I, my experience of life is that we are not here for enlightenment because we're all here essentially for enlightenment. There's nothing unique about that. And the reason we're here is unique. The reason each one of us here is unique. So we're all here to teach. We're all here to learn. We're all here to heal. We're all here to be healers. We're all here to become enlightened. That's all universally true. I'm not saying it's not true that you're here to gain enlightenment and enlightenment isn't possible. I'm just saying that's not the point of your life. And so it's really not the point of your transformation either. So there's one other piece in this that I'd like to talk about before a break, which is there is also a belief out there that life transforms us. And that is true, and there are aspects where it isn't true. Life changes us, certainly. The question is, is it transforming us? Are you engaging in your life in such a way that you are doing something other than being buffeted by the changes of life, buffeted by the events of life, and that changes you. Because often what I observe is that people simply get diminished by their experience of life, that they don't have the the perspective and the skills, the, the point of view, not perspective, but the point of view and the skills to engage with the ups and downs and ins and outs of life to engage with it in such a way that it actually creates transformation or that it actually creates a change that is positive and expansive. And so I don't think it's enough for people to just sort of, I think it's a cop-out to say, well, life changes us and that's good enough for me, because it isn't good enough. It, um, good enough, frankly, is never an acceptable answer, because it isn't good enough. There's nothing that's good enough. What, what is good, essentially, is the thing that brings you to your uniqueness. It's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's all defined relative to the degree or the way or how it serves you in your own creative, unique process of coming to your understanding of your own uniqueness and how to express that uniqueness in, with your life. So right now I'm participating in an online class with Ken Wilbur through Sounds True. And Ken is talking about some of the aspects of integral spirituality. And it's great stuff. There is, I'm not here today to argue with that. Um, There's a beautiful piece in it that I wanted to lay out for our discussion today, which is that Ken talks about states of consciousness, which lead us to waking up. So these would be like waking um, you know, dreaming, uh, sleep without dreams, and then other states of consciousness. And these lead to, like I said, to waking up consciously. But there's also stages of development and, and structures of psychospiritual growth and that um, this really talks about growing up. 
So there's waking up and there's growing up, and both of these dimensions matter when we're talking about transformation. And what is important for us to understand is that you can go through all the stages of um, states of consciousness at any stage of psychological awareness. And so we're going to come back to this as we come back from break, but I want everybody to begin to open up to the possibility that just because you've reached nirvana at a particular state of psycho-emotional awareness, that doesn't mean there isn't another nirvana at a higher state of growth um, and grown-upness. So with these thoughts rattling around in your mind, I hope you will come back and join me after this break. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we are talking about true transformation. And since I do not have a guest today, I um, am lonely. So please feel free to send me an email at christina at lastmasscenter.org. So we're talking about transformation. And I was talking a little bit about um, some really basic um, ideas about understanding what we're talking about today that, that are largely organized for us, thank goodness, by Ken Wilber and his brilliant and big, beautiful mind. And um, so basically... What he is talking about is that there are states of consciousness which lead to waking up, and these are um, familiar, I guess I would say, to a lot of people that are engaged in trying to wake up in their life, and these are states that we talk about in um, meditative, mostly in meditative processes. And there are five states of consciousness. But the thing that people don't really quite understand, and Ken has done a beautiful job of helping us to understand this, is that these states of consciousness, which go from ordinary to nirvana, to, to a peak, you know, peak ecstatic experience, that these states of consciousness exist at every structure or stage of psychospiritual growth and that there are many stages of psychospiritual growth. There isn't, doesn't seem to be total group agreement as to how many there are, but there are many. And the point is, within each of these stages, you can go from waking to dreaming all the way to um, enlightenment. And that in doing that, one would hope, in these stages of um, states of consciousness, that you begin then to move through stages of spiritual growth. But you know what? It just doesn't happen automatically. And that's really what I have observed in myself, but also working with a whole bunch of people, is that, well, I'll put it this way. I see a lot of people, and granted, they come to me because they have a problem, so I'm seeing people presenting their problems. But one of the things that I've noticed is that there are people, I have no doubt from what they're describing, that they are reaching very, very high states of consciousness through their meditation practice. But the truth in their life is is that they really experience a great deal of mental unwellness, and some of them even mental illness. So how can that be? I guess that's my point, is how can that be? And this is kind of the beauty of the integral spirituality work, is Ken is really helping us to understand how that can be. And basically what that means is the person is reaching high states of um, consciousness, but they're at a, at a lower stage of grown-upness, basically, and so they're still challenged by life, because life requires us to grow up. And this is the thing that has been made so clear, but also the path laid out so beautifully from my perspective by shamanism, and frankly, for me, and this is just for me, but humbly, speaking humbly, for me, nothing else in my contemporary life offered me a path forward to growing up. There were many paths forwards to raising states of consciousness. 
but not growing up psycho-spiritually. And this is the thing for me that has made shamanism so powerful, is that it has demanded of me to grow up. And it has demanded of me to grow up so that I live my soul's purpose. And so that's what we're talking about here today is how to grow up because growing up is required for you to live your soul's purpose. It just is not enough for you to be a good person. It's important to be a good person. You know, it's all better for all of us if we're all good people, um, loving and kind and compassionate. Um, But it's not going to do the trick that life is messy. Transformation is really messy. And willing and willingness to get a little messy and dirty is required if you are going to truly discover that uniqueness in yourself and bring that gift to the world. So, another point I guess I wanted to make up here in the beginning is about this whole issue of patterns. One of the things about patterns, um, back to this whole um, issue of how can people reach these high states of consciousness and still struggle in the world... Um, and function in a fairly mental unwellness sort of way in the world. And let's remember that one of the things that I feel that I observe working with people, and, and in the beginning of my, you know, my 20s, observing it in myself, is that we often hit our 20s with a pretty high state of mental unwellness. And that this just comes from growing up in our culture, not being initiated from childhood into adulthood. What is required of adults is unclear. We are not given a culturally sanctioned altered state to use to um, conduct the growth and development of our psycho-spiritual awareness and that um, this and many reasons, most of us hit our 20s and our 30s and we really aren't very well mentally. We're not prepared for what life shows us psycho-spiritually. And so we have to go learn things and we have to unlearn a bunch of things. And what happens when we don't is what I'm observing is that, or at least what I believe I'm observing, is that these, these persistent states of mental unwellness, in other words, a person who just decides, you know, being a good person should be enough and refuses to learn and grow and change and truly transform, these states of mental unwellness become mental illness. And I I believe that part of what we're experiencing now, like in these last few years, and it's only going to get worse, is states of mental illness breeding deeper states of mental illness. So we're going from mental unwellness breeding mental illness to states of prolonged mental illness breeding even deeper states of mental illness. And if we as a culture do not get a grip on this now and recognize that we must begin culturally to value the process of psycho-spiritually growing up as a cultural value, not just for those people that are at Naropa studying integral spirituality or those crazy people going off to Peru to study shamanism, but that it becomes a cultural norm to understand that you are required, you are responsible as an adult in this culture to grow up psycho-spiritually because otherwise you are an enormous burden on the community because you can't function and you create unhealthy chaos everywhere you go. So that's part of the reason that we need to transform is it's not just internal, our own need to discover our own uniqueness and express that in the world, but it's also external. We need to be creating beauty with our life. As Tom Pinkston said, we need to find that heart path and live it to completion in this life. Because otherwise, we create an amazing force of death 
in chaos and destruction with our life without intending to. And we create, we create and use enormous amount of resources of other people's time and energy because we simply won't organize ourselves to what is really going on here and how to approach it as a spiritual adult. So, another thing that Ken says is that the research shows us, and I certainly believe Ken in his assessment of the research. I would not argue with that ever. Um, and one of the things that research shows is that in an open environment, so in an environment that's sort of best potential for people to grow and change and transform, that a um, an individual can change, uh, can grow or transform two full structure stages in four years of meditation. But that doesn't happen automatically. And so, but part of what this is saying is that if you commit to meditation, that it is a valid uh, technology, if you will, for transformation. And I'm not arguing that. I'm saying yes. Now, of course, you need to commit yourself to meditation. This is not going to work if you're doing it once a week, right? It means a true um, surrendered to, you know, meditation practice that has, one, a system of organization to it, and I personally believe at teachers along the way to help you understand what's going on. Nonetheless, it can work. So we're talking a four-year investment to move two stages in this psycho-spiritual growth process. The question I want to ask today is, is meditation the only way to transform? And I would put forward the idea that, again, culturally, we are deeply biased to the methodologies of the mind. And we are deeply, deeply biased and somewhat unconscious about this to the processes that allow our ego to think it's in control as long as possible. And that my experience of transformation is that it is messy. It is a messy, messy, wonderful, creative process. And that while meditation is a piece, is certainly a valid technology in transformation, it is not the only one that we have access to. And that what um, shamanic states offer us are the altered states, as Eliade said, the techniques of ecstasy. So this is a technology, just like meditation is a technology of transformation. So is working consciously with the altered states. And that what we need to understand, because I don't think this is really very accurately represented in the research, is that, well, basically shamanism tends to be written off as something human beings used to do. And it gets diminished to something that happens only in a tribal, some sort of tribal awareness of some sort of lower state of psycho-spiritual development. But what is really missed by people is that shamanism is with us at every stage of human development. There is a time when cultures were more shamanic, yes, and we've evolved into other ways of approaching life, but we still also remain shamanic. Shamanism lives and breathes and transforms and changes as people do. And that there are shamanic practitioners today that have access to all the information and all the different practices and all of the psychological and psycho-spiritual technologies everybody else has. And so shamanism is evolving as well. And that shamanic skills remain some of our most powerful technologies for transformation. And that what we need to understand is just is that these altered states are available to us at every state of consciousness, 
at every stage of psychospiritual development and every structure of psychospiritual development. They are available to us no matter what moment we are in. They are there. And we need to understand that they are some of our most powerful and available tools for transformation. So as we come back from this next break, we'll continue talking about other tools for transformation and how to engage them. I thank you all for joining me here today. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and today we're talking about transformations. Um, before the break, I was talking about um, things in addition to meditation that offer us true technologies for transformation. So we have meditation. Um, we have a committed, um, schooled, trained meditation practice. We have um, shamanic altered state practices. Again, I also think committed and trained with a teacher or shaman would be helpful. We also have art, and what people don't understand is that art really wasn't meant to be this thing that some people did and other people paid a lot of money for, that art is actually meant as a transformational tool in its original form. It is a transformational tool for everyone to engage in. When this is coupled with ritual that is designed for the precise transformation that we are asking for, these tools are very powerful in the process of transformation. So what I, one of the things that my practice, my shamanic healing practice gives me is it gives me an opportunity to observe a lot of different people involved in many, many different transformational processes. Some work great. Some don't really work at all, but the people do a very good job convincing people that they're working. And some simply don't work well enough for the time and energy and resources invested in the process. And this is true for some um, schools of shamanism as well. I mean, in, in any area of these tools or technologies of transformation, you're going to find great teachers and great processes, um, great charismatic people that can convince you things are working and, and get you to not look at whether it's really working, and then people that are just great big fakes. And it's true in all of these areas. So what I observe with people then is that, you know, some are involved in systems that work, some are involved in systems that don't work, and some are involved in systems that don't really work well enough given the resources they're investing. And what I, you know, given this, one of the things that I can say with confidence is that there are aspects of what we do as humans dealing with life that need, that can be addressed more effectively with a creative, messy process like shadow work, like um, soul loss issues, like um, other things about dealing with our um, ancestral patterns that have been handed down, that everyone waking, walking, living today has these issues to deal with and that they are dealt with, in my experience, most effectively, meaning given the time, energy, and resources you invest you get the most transformation for your investment through processes that are messy because messy processes allow the truth in. Um, we, we recognize in those processes that we are not in control and we shouldn't be. Um, messy processes allow spirit in and spirit eases the way in ways we would never imagine. And messy processes also allow the crazy logic to happen. And the truth of the matter is Shadow stuff, soul loss stuff, ancestral patterns. These issues we all have to grapple with today 
to be able to truly grow up and wake up and come to that sense of oneness and ultimately our own unique self. To do all that stuff, you, you must deal with your shadow. You must deal with your soul loss. And you're going to have to deal with your unresolved ancestral issues. And those things all got laid down through the crazy logic of humans. And the only way to unwind them is, or the fastest way, the most effective, efficient way to unwind them is more crazy logic. And so I can say with some amount of confidence, humbly, but with some amount of confidence, that the shadow work that we do in the second year of my training program is the most effective shadow healing process, transformational process available today in America. I don't know about other countries, but in America. Why? Because it brings in what is my core belief about transformation. And so this is a little Christina-ism, but I see this in everything that I do with clients and students. Our issues that keep us from waking up and growing up are shapeshifters. And if you only focus on them through one avenue of who you are, so for, in, for example, you just decide, I'm only going to meditate or I'm only going to do shamanism, or I'm only going to do therapy, or I'm only going to do um, Nia ecstatic dance, then these issues will shapeshift into the aspect of who you are as a human where you're not paying any attention. And that the only way to create true transformation, not just change, not just remodeling the self, or I think Ken Wilber said something about refining the status quo. I love that. It's, it's very mental, very beautiful, very Ken-like, very crystalline. But this is it, is this, all of this time, energy, and money going into simply painting the room of your internal self a different color so you like it better. It's still the same room. It's still the same shape. If you need three more rooms or three more floors, you haven't done that yet. You've just redone, remodeled what was there. So, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So, what we need to do, and this is what I've trained people to do in the four-year training that I offer, is to approach those things that keep us from waking up and growing up, which are patterns. It's all just patterns. It's not really very scary. It's all just patterns. But we need to be able to identify the patterns and bring the appropriate technology to bear on the pattern. And that these patterns sit there and they keep us from waking up and growing up. What do we need to do? We need to approach that pattern for transformation from all four aspects of who we are at the same time. So that that energy cannot shape shift into the one arena we refuse to look at. And so we must have the mental skills for transformation. And the big ticket item there is meditation. We must have the spiritual skills for transformation. We must have the emotional skills for transformation, and we must have physical world body skills for transformation. We must be willing to engage our entire being in these aspects of self that keep us from waking up and growing up because they are built of all four aspects of a human. That's how we created them in the first place. It's why they're so effective and so sneaky at keeping us from truly transforming, keeping us in that level of simply changing, which is cycling, really, around and around and around. They keep us at that level of change and don't let us bump up to the level of transformation because they are made of humanness, and so they have all four aspects of being a human, and they must be transformed through humanness 
And in my world, because I am a shamanic practitioner and I do believe in that path, humanness infused with that extra oomph that you get through a true working relationship with spirit. So, this is... This is the reason, then, that the shadow work that we do in the second year is some of the most effective shadow work that we do because it involves journey work, it involves ritual work, it involves art, and um, in terms of creating uh, power objects through your, with your hands, and it involves movement and dance and ecstatic dance, and it involves meditation and awareness. It involves all of these skills, all focused around the work of reclaiming your essence out of where you stuffed it in the shadow. And it's extremely effective work. It's extremely uh, fun. And it's funny and humorous and sexy and a little body. And it's a way people feel almost tricked into doing the amount of work they would do, which if they were approaching it logically through therapy or meditation or some painstaking process that isn't messy, would be very scary. And we, through accessing the transformational power of messiness, frankly, are able then to get at these things that are unwieldy and illogical and get around that, around the issue of control and really into the fray of things and to rescue that essence from that mess and to bring it out and then integrate it and live it, implement it in our life. And so... This is what I believe is the most powerful process for transformation, is a process that teaches us to bring all of our humanness to bear on this issue of waking and growing up, and that we all have to address this issue if we are to do what we have come here to do. And what is interesting with the research about, you know, two full stages of trans of um, growing up in four years of meditation is that the cycle of transformation is also four years. It's the same time investment. So my sense is, let's get started. Let's do it. Let's commit four years. Put your foot down and decide. It is time for me to truly transform into the person that I have come here to be. I am going to invest four years in learning the skills that I need to transform into the man or the woman that I have come here to be, and to grow up enough and to wake up enough to, walk, to find this path of heart and to walk it to completion. And so if, if, that, if, if that challenge, if that makes you say yes somewhere in your heart, even if your brain can't figure out how to make it work, if that says yes, then you need to know that process begins May 23rd. Our first year of this four-year process, first, yeah, first year of the four-year process for 2010 begins on May 23rd. We're taking registrations now. There are only eight places left in the workshop, only eight. Right here in Oregon, it'll be beautiful. The issue is, are you willing to bring your whole humanness to bear to this issue of transformation, to become effective in mobilizing your time, energy, and resources at what will be a lifelong process, but to do it now. So what, what comes from this process of transformation as I understand it is you get the technologies of the altered states and a connection with a teacher 
that can be there, a spirit teacher, basically, that can be with you at all levels of consciousness and awareness. You get an access to art. Whether you think of yourself as an artist or not, you get to move. You get to access the power of dance and ecstatic dance, the power of creating things with your hands, the power of song, and the power of spontaneous song which and spontaneous dance, which can in and of themselves move us transformationally. And you learn the difference between working it on purpose and when it's happening to you and moving you. We get to learn skills for facing our fears because in the second year you learn about the shadow work I was talking about. You get a practice for turning over stones like internal meditation processes in Taoism or other forms of meditation. You get to learn about life as a teacher and how do you get the fundamental teachings out of life so you can stop cycling and build into real transformation. You get to learn to engage the cycle of life and death and rebirth. You stop resisting the inevitable and ultimately you reconnect with your capacity for faith. And this all happens in a week. So if you're budgeting for transformation, this is where you need to put it. So I hope you all will join me as we come back from this break. And thank you for being here today so far. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And today we are talking about transformation. And I thank you all for listening with me here today because transformation is really the passion of my life, and it is the core of the shamanic teachings that I teach. I don't, I'm not all that interested in teaching people to be shamans, because frankly, the spirit world does that. I'm interested in teaching people to, be, to grow up, to be spiritual adults, that, to engage in this transformation. And what I've learned over the years doing this with the beautiful, courageous, loving people that come and work with me is that transformation requires death. Death requires surrender, and surrender requires surrender. And this is one of the biggest issues for us as contemporary Americans, probably Westerners, but also at least Americans. And see, for me, because of crisis in my life, at 26, I learned about surrender because I saw, I had a moment of seeing essentially the math of my life. I saw those whole numbers, and I saw what they added up to, and I recognized that I was never going to get a different total. It was never going to add up to something different unless I changed the numbers. The issue wasn't the sum total of it or how I looked at it or anything. The issue was the numbers themselves, was me, was my own core being and my own core belief system. And that if I wanted the numbers of my life to add up to something different, that I needed to transform the numbers. And this is the awareness that understanding, not that I had any idea how to do it at that time, but I understood that I wasn't looking for a different sum anymore. I was looking for different numbers and how to create that. That I really came to understand that the reason I had that day of clarity was because somewhere inside of me was burning a passion for why. Why was I here? What was the point of me? And I was in California when this was happening, and so frankly there was energy all around me saying, enlightenment, enlightenment, enlightenment. And that answer never rang true in my gut. It's so attractive to the mind, but it never rang true in my gut, and it never brought my heart on fire. Because enlightenment in and of itself, for me, is still empty. Enlightenment in service of the discovery of that unique self, that's another story. 
And this is one of the beauties, I think, of the integral spirituality, is that it talks about the unique self, that there is the one, you know, the capital O, one true self, and that it is a present at all stages and in all structures and all consciousness, and that there is that one true self, and that that is what enlightenment is about, is us trying to awaken to that one true self. And this is something we look at fairly deeply in the third year of the training that I do. But that ultimately, the unique self is the I amness of the unique face of the one self. In other words, that that one true self, the one self, shows up uniquely. It shows up differently in every sentient being. And that is the unique self. My point here is not to be oneness, but to use that oneness to illuminate, to radiate out through me my unique self. And, you know, so why is there a unique self? Well, because we all have unique gifts and talents and perspectives that come with being the sentient being that you are. And that uniqueness is present also at all stages and all consciousness, all states of consciousness, all structures. It is your experience of that oneness, or I actually see it as the oneness's experience through that unique lens of existence that is you or that is me. And that... This is what we're here to do, is to express that unique self, to connect with that one self, to let it radiate out so that we can live that unique self. Because that is the core of shamanic cultures and how they focus their lives. They didn't, we're, we're very arrogant in looking back at shamanic cultures and saying, oh, they were just tribal, they were just focused on survival. They survived to thrive so that they could offer their uniqueness to the world. And Tom Pinkson said it so beautifully a few weeks ago, talking about the Wuchol and the way they talk about remembering in the heart your path and to walk that path of heart with completion in your life. And so while I've spent my life trying to find as many technologies for true transformation as I could possibly stumble over, I... I see that in some ways they all boil down to a willingness to use them collectively to do one of two things, which is, one is to stand up, which is to stand up for your uniqueness. Whatever it is at this state of consciousness, at this stage, and at this structure of your own psychological growing upness, and to stand up for your uniqueness as you understand it at that time, and to live it, to take space, and frankly, this is harder for those who are grandiose than those who play it small, because those who are grandiose have fooled themselves into thinking they're already doing it. It's much easier to know you're not and find the courage to stand up. And the other thing we must learn is to bring all of these transformational technologies to bear to know when to lie down, to lie down into the river of our true life, of our true self, to surrender to it, and to let your life take you. One of the most powerful things I have come to understand when I commit to the big things in my life is to give myself to those choices, to give myself to that path, to surrender to that river, and to let it transform me. And that in the process of life transformation, I see that one of the greatest places of discernment is learning when do you need to stand up, 
take space and express that uniqueness of who you are? And when do you lie down and let the river of life take you and transform you into the man or the woman that you have come here to be? And to do either of those things, you need a whole bag of tricks of all these different technologies to transform mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And they are available to you. So thank you all for joining me here today. May you all learn to stand up and when to lie down and surrender. And I thank the ancestors that help us in these decisions. I thank the earth below us and the sky above. And I thank the hearts that unite us all. Thank you all for joining me here today. And I hope that we'll be here next week when we talk about how to select a shaman or a shamanic training process. So thanks again, and know you can find everything at www.lastmasscenter.org. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.